right, welcome to the very first episode of the original marketing podcast with my co-host, Brady Cram. Good to be here. Yeah, excited to do this with you, Brady. Brady and I have been working together for, I think it's been around seven years. Almost seven, coming up. Very first ever advertising employee. He uh, ironically saw me educating a group of people. It was at, on SEO. I was SEO. doing paid media in-house and didn't know much SEO, and I was on your email list. So we got Brady in the educational scene. I followed it up with a nice little bagel date, recruited oh, him yeah. to join us. And seven years later, here we are on a podcast together. It's been a ride. It's been a ride. Yeah. Brady's done everything from paid media to sales to marketing to now really heading up our strategic engagements. Yep. So one of the reasons I thought he'd be a great kind of fit on the show is I think Brady has a very unique outlook on marketing and is inspired by it, similar to myself, passionate about it. And I thought together we might be able to bring some new perspectives into the marketing world, a new type of show, new type of content that we can all get excited about. Yeah, marketing's everywhere, so I think it's going to be fun to connect with the listeners even if they're not in the craft. A thousand percent. Yeah. Now, the way we wanted to do the show is we got four segments. We may have guests, we may not have guests. I think it really just depends on the quality. Just know if we have a guest, Ace is guest, okay? We're not we're not getting any kind of guests just to have a guest on this show. I think both of us, what I did over 100 interviews last year. Yeah. I want to talk to people that inspire me. And I want you to only listen, hopefully, to interviews that inspire you, um, that are the best and the brightest in this craft, in this industry, and have a true, I think, viewpoint that challenges you or makes you hopefully see the world a little differently. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the insights too, because I know we've done a lot at Directive, right? We've done services, we've done B2C, we've done obviously a lot of SaaS, but there's just these industries out there that I think you and I both have questions. Like magazine ads, we talked about TV ads, even radio attribution. Exactly, sponsoring events. What does that do to the business? I just I don't have much experience in it, so I'd love to ask questions. Well, yeah, like Red Bull to me is such a fascinating organization because I'm always having to constantly figure out like how do we innovate our service? How does our service Mm -hmm. stay relevant? Okay, this is what's going on in Google Analytics with GA4, or this is what's going on with tracking and pics. I mean, there's a trillion things. Red Bull has been, if you think about it, their product is the same. It's the same drink. And then they just market it, but they do it so creatively. Like imagine if we did a show on Netflix called Agency Life. Or like I think there's so many things you can get inspired. Mm-hmm. Like what F1 did for, or Netflix did for F1 as much as F1 did for Netflix, frankly, lately, if yeah. I'm being honest. Like both parties, I thought, won from that partnership. How can we use traditional media more, right? How can we use streaming? I think there's just so much innovation that comes from talking to other industries. So I just want to meet those types of leaders and hear from them. Yeah, same. I'm excited. Yeah. But it's not that easy to always get a CMO of Red Bull on the show. So bear with us, okay? <laughs> if you're we, listening, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. here. Holler at your boy. We'll try, we'd love to chat with you. Now, what we're going to do is four segments, though. So we talked about this. We, we don't always have a guest, but we will have the four segments. And the four segments go like this. We got advertising jealousy. So Brady, maybe advertising jealousy, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so I think we're gonna come to the table every week and obviously advertisement is everywhere. So I think you and I, maybe even more in our personal lives, what we're connecting with, definitely with our professional lives, like things that, you know, it might match one industry, but we don't see a fit for another and we're kind of jealous about that. You know, the one I have today is just pure entertainment, makes my wife laugh, so I'm pretty jealous of that. (laughs) But it's gonna be fun. Yeah, no, and I, I think, like, the cool part about being where we're at today, helping tech companies grow, 
is there's so much inspiration we can get from other industries. And I think in advertising jealousy, we're not going to just focus on one category or mm-hmm. one industry. We want to just highlight the marketing that inspires us. And then next segment, psychology and marketing. There's so much going on right now with data and tech. And I feel like great marketing lost its soul. Like marketing mm-hmm. is still to humans. It is human to human. And we stopped studying humans. We stopped obsessing over humans. We stopped analyzing and psychoanalyzing and trying to figure out what makes humans go from apathy to action and what's the science behind that and i think we're gonna break that down for everybody and that'll be exciting from my perspective i'm really excited for that segment yeah me too i mean that's what gets me fascinated about marketing is we're behind these screens and we're altering people's decisions and it is all psychology in my opinion in the end of the day a thousand percent and then we got tactically delicious we want you to walk away from takeaways, right? Some new information, yep. some things that might change your perspective, change your mind, um, but also give you something you could practically do. Like, what could you do at the end of this episode that you could mm-hmm. execute, right? Because so we're going to give you jealousy, we're going to give you theory, but what about like just straight up tactics that get your demos up or your revenue up or your ops up or your e-commerce sales? Like, let's get you that at the end of each show so you walk away with something powerful. Yeah. In any industry too, like we're going to be coming to the table, I think with ideas and tactics that might not just be, you know, what directive is all about, um, which is SaaS technologies, but brick and mortar e-commerce. Yeah. No, a thousand percent. And then lastly, marketing and culture, right? How is what's going on today around Mm -hmm. us affecting the performance of our campaigns? Because I think we like to think like, you know, when they do like what made your numbers go up or down? I remember when COVID hit Optimizer, one of the softwares we use, um, I can't spell it. It's like Optimizer without any of the proper vowels. Yeah. But you can M-Y-Z-E-R yeah. or R. I don't yeah. know. But they did this cool thing where they were showing inflection changes across their data point and layering over macro events. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think as marketers, we sometimes get stuck in this micro environment that we think we are like somehow in our little bubble, right? We're in our D2C bubble. We're in our e-commerce bubble. We're in our... B2B bubble. We're in our SaaS bubble. And like there's a real world around us that oh, is yeah. definitely affecting the performance of our campaigns. As and also let's just say like the perception of our campaigns. Mm-hmm. Like are we being culturally tone deaf? Are we relevant? Are we hitting those kind of psychological triggers that are necessary with today's consumer? And we're gonna unpack marketing culture and how it affects and I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's gonna be a fun one. I think all four segments are going to be terrific. If y'all hate the segments, let us us know know in the comments. (laughs) We're Uh, here for you. So yeah, we're literally like, we wanted to talk about stuff we find interesting. Like if we just keep it a hundred with y'all, like I've been doing content where it's either like a SaaS marketing makeover and it's always live or I'm doing like sour candy, but I haven't got to do a longer format with a friend and just hopefully fall in love with marketing again. And really, bring the craft to the forefront and honor the craft in a way that I think, I don't know, it's all become analytics. It's all become optimizations. And I feel like we lost our soul a bit. And hopefully this podcast will let us get our soul back as well as hopefully reinvigorate the whole marketplace. Yeah. I think for me, just even prepping, obviously going through the segments, I'm not just going to come up with random things when you ask me, like we, we, we prep for these, but it was a reminder on it's always there. I'm always thinking it. 
but I kind of just took it for granted a little bit, focused too much on like my day to day, my clients, things like that. Well, yeah, we get stuck. And I think this is a time for you and I to sharpen our, you know, sharpen the tools in our toolbox as well as we hopefully can bring some new insights to our listeners. Yeah. So many more questions I could be asking. hundred percent. I can't wait. Let's talk advertising jealousy. You ready Let's to do it? it? Yeah. What ads make you jealous right now, Brady? Like what's got you most, like when you see it, you wish you had come up with mm-hmm. it or you want to apply it to your own campaigns or maybe you're just in awe, but what is it? Yeah, so this one's actually kind of tough for me because I'm kind of a cynic when it comes to marketing, but in a good way for being a marketer, right? Because when I'm doing marketing, I always try to make something that would sell me because I'm not influenced too much. You're a pretty weird dude, though. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I'm kind of weird. Way. Yeah. So you like, but you want ads that speak to you personally. Yeah. Or I mean, I'm always thinking marketing, and so I don't just try to like look at ads. Like, oh yeah, that sold me. Because even my example today is progressive. It's the Doctor Rick, don't become your parents commercials. Absolutely love it. And so I'm jealous for this for a few reasons. I think one of the main ones is just the insurance space and where it's been for the last, I mean, probably decade if not more. And when it comes to TV, intimately connected to the insurance space a little bit, right? What's your, I mean, insurance we, space. We have Allstate. Yeah, we have Allstate as a client. I mean, so we, yeah, but not for like we're not doing their like, TV ads, but I we're know. showing them up for car insurance, uh, national SEO ranking number one. <laughs> it's not bad, but like not we've bad, been not for bad. About, what five years now? Yeah. So I meant like we do have, I think, skin in the insurance game. Yes. So we're a little bit more yes. inspired by it, or at least I'm at least more aware of what insurance is doing due to the Allstate account. Yeah, I was a little worried. I'm like, what insurance am I using yeah. right now? Uh-oh. I do have termites, so I might have to look into my home. I don't think there's termite insurance. It's not covered. <laughs> I don't think no, so. my my guarantee expired a, a year and a half ago or a year ago. Oh no. Yeah, yeah not good. Anyway. Yeah. So progressive. TV commercials, Dr. Rick, don't become your parents. I'm jealous because like I said, the TV insurance space has become entertainment. And I I think like, why is that happening? You know, those are things we can talk about. In my opinion, it's just such a, you know, when you need it, you get it type of buy to where I think they've taken their TV awareness as how are they going to remember progressive? How are they going to remember all state? How are they going to remember Geico? And they're just leveraging entertaining commercials so that they're top of mind when that person needs insurance, whether it's home, auto, switching off their parents, buying their first home, getting their first car. So I'm jealous of that because I don't think a lot of people can just be funny. Well, and I think funny can be innovative. Now, in that industry, could we make the argument that funny's played out? Now, I like their funny. Theirs funny is funny. Yeah. But... Are, I feel like you almost have to be funny in insurance these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is it like a battle of the agencies they're hiring? Is it more that than it is connecting with the market and measuring results and growth? Like those are the things I don't know. Well, let's pause for a second and let's play the clip for the audience. Okay, snacks and popcorn are gonna be expensive. Let's just accept that. Going to the movies can be a lot for young homeowners turning into their parents. Bathrooms, even if you don't have to go, you should try. We all know where the bathroom is and how to use it. Okay. You know, the Stevensons told me they save money bundling their boat insurance with Progressive. No one knows who those people are. It can be painful. Into your coats, there's an extra seat right here. No, 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 no. We don't need a coat wrangler. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home, auto, and more with us. No one who made the movies here. And what I think stands out to me the most, yes, the humor's there. I talked to you about this, I think, offline when we were kind of prepping for this. Mm -hmm. 
is I think there's a big psychological connection with the insurance companies and your parents, right? So Brady, simple question. Do you have the same insurance that you had as a minor on your parents' plan? Oh yeah, we're bundled. Okay, so you, but and you even have the same agent, correct? Like you just yeah, like- Yeah, we that, have all independent billing, like our entire family. But if you looked at our portal, we got like seven cars, three homes. So you have a full cram policy that's bundled yet independent billing. Yeah, but our discount is for the bundle. So when I actually did go shopping, right? Yeah. Because we got our first home yeah. almost two years ago and we wanted to do our due diligence and nothing. If we went independent, we'd be paying way more money. Okay, so, and this is what I find interesting, right? So the, the premise, the promise of the campaign is don't become your parents, yet we all get our insurance from our parents. To me, that is a very interesting conundrum of them that I don't think they deliver on. So like for me, if I were to run that progressive commercial, by the way, I love the humor, I think it's hilarious. I love the commercial, don't get me wrong. But I ask myself, am I more likely to hire progressive or even check out their website afterwards? And the truth is no, it's almost so entertaining that I box them into my entertainment category mm. as a consumer, not even into my discovery insurance provider category. Like they're so entertaining that I love their commercials, but it's almost like the commercial is so entertaining that I almost am less likely to go to their website and they don't draw that connection. So if it was like, don't become your parents, see how much you could switch from a legacy plan or how much could you save leaving the family plan mm -hmm. and they had that last connection i would say goaded campaign elite yeah but that's where i don't know like what are the demographics because that's my situation my wife on the other hand once she got financially independent her parents booted her off everything sounds like my parents not even caring about the discounts or you, Mom and Dad, yeah independent billing know. even if she was covering it she got the boot. So that that's my situation. But this is where I think this podcast is so interesting because there's so many questions. Yeah, no, but the campaign, like, do you believe humor is enough? I want to stay on, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. the insurance, all stuff, but like at yeah. the campaign level, do you believe being humorous makes an ad good? In other words, is an ad good because you laugh? Yeah, it's kind of like, is it better than the jingle? which might connect the brand a bit more to the jingle. By the way, like speaking of people... jingles that don't work, Chanel number no. five jingle. No, let's not, let's not get into Chanel number no. five Christmas commercial. You have to honestly check it out if you're like yeah, watching that pause. I don't know what year it was. It was like 2019, maybe Chanel number no. five auto tune commercial. It was the cringiest thing I've ever listened to. It's the worst ad I've ever seen. So check it out. Just if you want to laugh yeah. a little. It's always Chanel number no. five. Chanel. It's yeah. true, but it's bad. Okay, so do you think humor is enough? I don't know. I just don't know because I haven't been in that market. Like when I got my house, I looked into our family plan. I didn't really shop around. And I think even prepping for this, like I knew the commercial. I had to fact check that it was progressive. So I th think that answers your question. Like I knew the... You knew the you were I knew like, oh, the joke. Hilarious, but you didn't even know who. Oh did yeah, it? the blue hair scene. Well, and you definitely in the hardware store. You, you didn't know it was Doctor Rick. Let's not kid. No, I, I when I looked it up, I knew it was Doctor Rick. I found like a whole YouTube segment. It had decent views where he's just like one on one YouTube answering questions. Oh, like they funny. have a whole campaign for it on YouTube. But yeah, I had to fact check it. You're like, was that Geico? And I think that's yeah. the problem. Yep. Yeah. Because there's nothing progressive. <laughs> 
about it in that regard. Yeah, maybe Flo was more connected to the brand, even though she wasn't as funny. Is Flo progressive? I don't think Flo's progressive. I thought Flo was progressive. No. Is Flo... Dude. I'm looking it up. Yeah, I think we gotta look that no, up right I think, now. I think she was. Wait. Well, because she just did a commercial with John Hamm, where she like pretends like she's like unimpressed by him. Let me see. Flo. Is... No, Flo is progressive. You were right. All right. Yeah, see, they've been doing... Her net worth is six mil. Not bad. Jeez, I need more Flo in my life. <laughs> but Flo and that whole thing, I understood, I think, the commercial a little bit more. I just wish there was a hook at the end, like I was saying. I think they playing on Don't Become Your Parents is accidentally brilliant because we almost all get insurance from our parents. And you could very easily tie a psychological trigger into at the end of it are you still on your parents plan there could be better rates mm-hmm. now if you planted that in my mind ooh, you see what i'm saying like it has the humor it has the engagement i'm missing that like punch i want that gets me from apathy to action i don't need to like be like click here or, like google this but yeah. i want to feel like i have a takeaway as a consumer at the end mm-hmm. and i don't know if i get that now mine is maybe i'm nostalgic <laughs> but i love print I just love okay. print. I love the creativity, the story you can tell, and it's codependent on copy. And to me, I don't know what happened to B2B. I don't know what the hell happened to advertising. But copywriters do not exist. Like, there's freelancers you can hire. I don't think I have one full-time copywriter at Directive, and we're at, what, almost 150 people? Yeah. I think in B2B, especially in SaaS, it's a lot of product marketing is the copywriting, yeah, which makes it just all feature-based. They all need words, though. Yeah, but like, I'm saying product, the product marketing team words, though, so. writes the copy on the site, No, you could which tell. isn't a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I could tell the product marketing team yeah. writes the copy. Like, what happened to writers? Like, that, you understand, our whole industry was copywriters. And then we yeah. all forgot how to write because they introduced analytics. Do you think it's the att- attention span, though? Because I follow on Reddit, there's vintage ads. So yeah. that's like a subreddit. Yeah, and ones. it's fascinating. It's really cool. But it's so much copy. And because I'm on Reddit and I'm trying to entertain myself, like I'm committed to, I'm going to read the whole app. I'm so tired of that crap. I'm so tired of that crap. Like these marketers tell me that people don't read. No, they don't read your garbage. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's what the hook is for. Like, let's be real for a second. 99.9% of marketers would not even read their own marketing. Yeah. Like I always like to ask people, like if you ranked and people read your content, would they be more likely or less likely to hire you? And I have that same problem. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. I'm not guilty of this. I want to be crystal clear. Big hypocrite over here, okay? Big hypocrite. I don't have one copywriter, and I'm complaining about copywriting, and I employ over 100-plus people. We hired one, though, for the rebrand. We did use a freelancer. Yeah. And by the way, what a massive impact. Oh, yeah. Price per, like, cost, amount of money they've made us, millions Mm -hmm. of dollars. Yet our clients, literally, we have over 150 accounts, and these are not small accounts. So the dream accounts I always dream of having, we finally got. We get to serve them. Nobody's asked for a copywriter. Like, no one was ever like, well, do you have a copywriter on my account? They're like, no, nah, just some ads, dude. He's great. His name's yeah. Rick. He's from Massachusetts. <laughs> well, they ask. They do ask. They're He's... like, who's going to do the copy? And then it could be like, oh, creative team, paid team, like with the paid research. But they don't gonna... expect us to answer with the word copyright. No, no. we. They love it. They're just like, oh. There will be words on pages. That's all I want. No, no, no. Even more importantly, I don't have to write it. 
Yeah, right. someone else uh, yeah, is that's writing probably it. Right, like that's what that's what the, yeah. the joy you get on their face is like. I don't have to write this. Yeah, hell yeah, I'm in for that. No, it wasn't the background of the person writing. It wasn't. Are they dedicated to copywriting? Now are they going to perform? Complaining about the English language, which I've never will stop doing. Yeah, back to print. Yeah, back to print. I got this ad from Bumble, and uh, if we could put it up right now, but it's two individuals operating like on the platform, like mm-hmm. within the platform, texting back and forth, right? So the first one goes, hey, so it's my job to pick the date venue, even though I'm terrified of misjudging it, right? The next person goes, or the person they're texting goes, I'll go with wherever you pick so you don't think I'm bossy or hard work. The other person goes, I'll get there 20 minutes early to feel in control and let my sweat patches dry. The other person goes, I'll be 20 minutes late just to make it seem like this date is one unimportant part of a busy evening, right? They're going back and forth mm-hmm. humorously. Yeah. Now, it's so cool about this ad, and there's multiple parts. First and foremost, I don't have a dang clue who's the man and who's the woman or if it's a man and a woman mm-hmm. or if it's two transgender people, if it's non-binary people, I can't tell. I've reread yeah, it like a hundred times to try to figure out if I could tell like, you know, like what the very gender roles mm-hmm. are in it. I can't tell. To me, that's so on the nail on the head for an ad campaign because mm-hmm. if you over like stereotypes like male and female stereotypes on the ad. I don't think it plays. I don't think it's humorous. And I don't think it's creative. But if you make it culturally relevant and you make it like not about gender roles, which has been played out a thousand times, in mm-hmm. my opinion, but instead make it about two humans seeking connection, but doing it in a flirty, kind of flirtatious, clever way, and then translating that into an ad. And then here's the tagline, right? And so that's on one page. Okay, so you can see that there. Yep. On the other page, it says, the rules of dating are so weird. Let's break them. And then the hashtag is make romance equal, which I love. It plays mm-hmm. perfectly into the socioeconomic time we're living in. It plays perfectly into what people want out of an organization. I just thought it was brilliant. But yeah, what, what what's your take, Brady, on like print? Let's just use that, the medium, yeah, as a discussion point. Because we're in B2B, right? We manage over $100 million in spend. Mm-hmm. No print. No one's even asked me about it, ever. Yeah. Like you're on all the proposals. Have you ever heard anyone talk about print? No, it's never a thing. Um, I think that ad's interesting just because of the visual aspect, right? Yeah. It, it draws you in. It's two page. It has a, a chat. People are suspicious, right? They they want to almost snoop on yeah. what someone's messaging thread Correct. would be. Yeah. So I think even not to bleed into marketing psychology, but I think just that layout in general is so enticing. And then all the points you just made, but it really shows how casual it can be. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's thousands, thousands of angles we could take looking at that ad. Um, and they're all brilliant. Like even for myself, yeah. I never went on a dating app when I was single and they were hot back in the day. Like I, I was single when it was coffee meets bagel versus well, Bumble versus foot, Tinder. Tall, dark and handsome. Stop, you see stop, what I mean? So you didn't have to worry about it. Some of us, no, we I mean, swipe like crazy just to get someone to be interested. But I was, I, looking back on it i had probably had all my reasons not to but maybe it was fearful maybe it was like the social awkwardness the stigmatism my, There's yeah a stigma too. stigmatism am i supposed to represent myself differently online versus in real life to even get a date in the first place and i think they just normalized it too yeah I, I think they we also all want to think we're witty humorous lovers right so i think they kind of you know what i mean like everyone likes to think they're so funny when they text right or that they're so clever and I think they actually showed you how clever you could be. And I think it's kind of inspiring. People are like, oh, I kind of want something fun and flirtatious and kind of witty in my life. 
which I think does drive app downloads. I think it does drive engagement. I think the broader question though is like, how do you apply uh, apply that to digital, right? Can mm-hmm. you do ads that tell a story? I know we do that with video here at Directive, and we do, I think, a good job of kind of demonstrating a pain point and then articulating value. But design-wise, most of our display ads are just ignored, like statistically. And then no one does print. Like I remember vividly being in a dentist office looking down at Forbes and on the back, they had a full page Slack ad. I thought, oh, that was pretty clever. But you don't really see a lot of print advertising in the tech space anymore, do you? No, not not B2B. I think there's B2C tech, like Betterment might even be on a bus. Yeah, so you could do out of home. Yeah, more out of home. We see at airports a lot in B2B, though, right? So, like, all the cybersecurity guys who fly in the SF or something, they'll have, like, Silence because Silence does it, CrowdStrike does it, because CrowdStrike does it, Sentinel-1 does it. And then we've worked with a lot of them, so we end up, like, I feel like just noticing it. Mm -hmm. But to me, print is kind of gone just because the reach isn't there like it used to be as a channel. So I personally haven't managed much in print, and we have – so many clients and none of them want print at least from us they might want it in general but i think the learnings from print can go a long way which words you make bold in your ads Mm -hmm. which ones you make larger can you integrate the product to it so if you notice like an old porsche ad it's always a porsche the bumble ad has the bumble texting feed so it it does make you feel like you're a part of it i think all of those things are things we can do a better job with digitally to evoke emotion which I think print does so well, it allows your imagination to run a little bit. And I think that's important. Yeah, one of our first designers had a print background, and this is back when I was designing pages as well. And her feedback from her print background on what you're just talking about, like what do you bold, font size, all of that, it carried over so well yeah. into digital. And it, it kind of broke the rules a little bit. Yep. Um, but I mean, we were even able to achieve performance that we could track out of those changes. I completely agree. So if you were to take, let's do this little fun segment, okay? So wrapping up Advertising Jealousy, you had one chance to redo the progressive Dr. Rick commercials. What would you do different? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, You know, for me, I'm within their demographic, I feel like, but I don't know how narrow that is for them, but I'm sure the parents find it entertaining. But like, why'd you print the internet is one of the punchlines because someone just has a file cabinet and I'm dealing with the same thing. I have a file cabinet at home and all my bills are online. But for some reason, it just seems important enough to keep the mortgage payment, the water bill and put it in the file. (laughs) But I don't know why I'm doing it. But I think you were spot on even with your feedback in terms of what to change. I think it's like making it more actionable and still having the entertainment. I don't think you have to ditch the entertainment, but- Tone down the entertainment. I think Having need, a call to action. You need a bridge, right? Connecting From the it entertainment to the value. Closer to purchasing. I think there is a gap there. A thousand. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you. And I think for me, like Bumble, maybe a QR code. If you look at the ad, mm. unless I'm missing something, I'll pull it back up again real quick. Yeah, there's no QR code. Yeah, that would be good. Because technically you're consuming the content and you have your phone in your hand. So I'm not actually a fan of QR codes because I think sometimes people want to change human nature with QR codes. This to me does not change anything. You just QR code it and it does an automatic download from the app store. Yeah, you just put a little context above it with an arrow so they know what they're doing. And I could track how many downloads came from the print ads because maybe print 
is an amazing channel and we just don't have any so like to me a little qr code i don't want to change anything on the ad really and you have a whole right page available so add a qr code drive a bridge between the humor of the progressive ad to the fact that we're all on our parents plans and we most of us as humans just accept that and what if there was a psychological trigger from an insurance company that says should you just be on your current insurance because your parents were which is almost what the ad is saying. Yeah. Or it's so close, dude. Or get your so parents close. to switch with you. Like that could be the oh. call to action because it's like, don't become your parents. They're kind of making them old school. So this is your last chance to do something innovative. Yeah, they and maybe that is there, switching though. to progressive with your parents. Like bring them over. Keep the bundle. Keep the savings. I don't mind any of it. I just wish there was a bridge. So yeah, awesome stuff. Let's talk psychology and marketing. Let's do it. All right, let's chat psychology of marketing, Brady. I think this might be my favorite one. It, it's my favorite. It's the most work because you got to like really go out there and find mm-hmm. psychology, psychological principles. And he's got the hardest word for me. But psychological principles that we know about but don't always think about and then how mm-hmm. we can integrate mm-hmm. them. And so today what I want to talk about is charm pricing. Okay. Or even charm timing. And so – Charm pricing is the theory, it's like a pricing theory that says you can manipulate a consumer with $19.99 instead of 20 bucks. Now, mm-hmm. I think most of us are aware of that, right? We've maybe experienced in our life like how people price things and we see a lot of $19 SaaS products and $29 SaaS yeah. products and $49 SaaS products, right? We've kind of all seen that. Now, there are some parts of pricing, though, that I, I saw some studies done around that I thought we don't always do that was interesting. So one of them comes from Keith Coulter, associate professor of marketing at Clark University. And he says that this kind of pricing effect may be enhanced when the cents are printed smaller. So if you did nineteen ninety nine, but you made the 99 cents smaller than 19 cents. So it just looks like 19 kind of thing? Yeah, like pretty like much looks a, like 19. Okay. It's got like 99 like up above it's mm-hmm, not even mm-hmm. in the same level playing field so it's kind of like yeah. when you go to walmart and they have like the the cents are small and they're offset mm-hmm. so like offsetting the cents and making them smaller can trick a consumer which i thought to be wildly interesting of just like a theory and then they also say consumers ignore and this is also from keith coulter consumers ignore the least significant digits rather than do the proper rounding so even though the cents are seen and not totally ignored they may be subconsciously or partially ignored. So it's like we all know we're being tricked. Yeah. But we'd rather be tricked than have to deal with it. Well, I wonder if that trick was done because of like the evolution of the consumer. So maybe 1999, all the same font used to work because the idea there is, well, it's under $20. But I wonder if consumers started to almost catch on to that and evolve to the point where then they started thinking, that's pretty much 20 bucks. Well, that's what they talk about here. So they say the premium vendors now are doing the opposite. So because everyone else, it's almost like using um, fractions or decimals in mm-hmm. your pricing means you're cheap. Oh. So I like this on the other side of it. Now, on the other other side of it, real estate has realized that when you do this, you want to anchor it to the lowest price band of the top end of a consumer. Mm-hmm. So they might know that some consumers – don't have more than five million dollars to spend on a home, so they price it at forty thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Just some, most do, you know, five mil. Yeah, I mean, it's only five million. <laughs> but 
But like whatever that band is, right? So let's say the band's a million. You don't price your house at one point one. You price it at nine ninety nine. Allow yep. for a bunch of offers, and then you screw over the buyer like everyone else is doing mm-hmm. in this. Because someone comes market. in with cash for one point five, and then you still sold it. But my point being is like people use price whether it's to anchor it to filters. Like mm-hmm. me, I'll anchor ourselves to ten k because I'd rather be with someone who wants ten k and up than ninety five hundred because it's a different type of buyer. Let's say, right? Or it can signify that you're classy because you don't round up or it can signify that you're cheap because you're rounding. I just never thought all the little pieces of how people do it, especially a, like a technology company is so interesting. Yeah. Do you think the like infomercial five easy payments of nine ninety nine is within this category? Like yes. even splitting up the payments in themselves? Well, yeah, cause that's payment plan crafting, which we haven't talked about, but it's kind of goes to my point of view and bring this up. We found massive gains in our own advertising when we ask for a 29 minute meeting instead of a 30. So what got mm-hmm. clever to me was I would agree with like what the researchers state here that charm pricing is a bit played out. Like my wife sees 19, she knows it's 20, right? I would argue that that's not what got her there. Usually now it's probably the brand, maybe their social strategy, something mm-hmm. that she kind of felt connected with, right? As a consumer, I would argue the charming of the pricing and like doing the tricks to it is not as impactful to some consumers as others, especially upmarket consumers. I want to say they're less motivated by price in the first place. So changing the pricing to be charm pricing probably won't have the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger impact comes taking the same principle of what you can do to price and doing it to other things. For example, most of our, if you're in software, if you're in tech, you request a demo. Is that a one hour call or is that a 59 minute call? To me, applying yeah, it say. to time is such a more creative thing. Like, imagine if you fill out a form and it said someone from our sales team will reach out in 23 hours. Yeah. Like, it would start to stick with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it stands out. It's like 23. You almost do the math. Once you see that number, you're like, when is 23 hours? Oh, it's 10 a.m. Okay, 9 a.m. So that's a principle we have in our marketing where everything we do should be shockingly memorable. And mm-hmm. I'll have the – here, you can see the stats actually. We'll pull it up for you from the impact charm timing had on our business. Yeah, we've done a ton of tests there. We have. And, I mean, you can see obviously it works. I think the bigger question now is do you, do you see any other applications of that? Because, like, I'm doing it for intro calls being 29 minutes mm-hmm. instead of 30, 14 minutes instead of 15. 23 hours instead of 24, six days instead of seven. Like, yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, yeah, free trial length, right? 21 days instead of 14 days mm-hmm. or the seven days. I feel like those are the most common. Sometimes it's 30 days, so maybe it's 35 days. But maybe that's fearful, right? If you have to put a credit card in and it's an odd number like that, maybe the consumer then thinks, I'm going to forget. Like, that's such a weird number to remember. What if I don't cancel it and I get charged? So with a different user experience, I think that could go the wrong way. But warranties too, yep. you know, why one year guarantee, one year and three months, like just there's so many places. Yeah, I think the key as a marketer is where do you have a piece of information that is creating no leverage for you? In mm-hmm. other words, when someone fills out your form and you say someone will reach out to you in 24 hours, using the word 24 hours, in my opinion, gives you zero leverage, zero wow, zero click zero psychological connection to whatever's next. And if I could change that by writing something that was shockingly memorable, I would. Mm -hmm. I think that's just a psychological principle we should look at. It's like, what are the parts of our business that are unremarkable? And is there a way that we can make the unremarkable shockingly memorable? 
Yeah. I wonder if it goes even the other way of you don't remember it. And this is where I'm thinking of like Spotify and subscription prices. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever done the math, but I've had Spotify for probably a decade now. You know, G. And I'm playing, I'm paying monthly. <laughs> and I even got it for my mom and sister for Christmas, maybe four years ago. You're trying to bankrupt your entire family? These monthly plans? I'm bankrupting myself. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm I, oh, are you? I are upgraded. you still footing the bill for them? Yeah, it was their Christmas gift four years ago. A monthly Christmas. But gift? I added it up. That's the gift that keeps. Oh, you added it up. I've given Spotify almost four grand. Oh, I thought you did it to like count how much, how good of a like a like brother and son you are. No, no, no. I, I just with this topic, right? Could you do pricing that you just don't think of? Like I, don't, I couldn't even tell you how much I pay a month. Probably like seven bucks per. I think the family plan might be more, but maybe it's just like four fifty nine. Like, is that a number that, oh, that's nothing. I'm not even going to remember that. And a company like Spotify, that's great for them because people are on the platform for a decade, probably not even thinking they've spent close to $4,000. Well, with all our clients, we still haven't done this test. And we got to do this because almost all of our clients have a pricing page. We yeah. could just yeah. test what happens and work with their FB&A function, their finance function and like mm -hmm. actually build out a model of like what would happen like how many if we decreased price by a dollar but in, what would we have to increase conversion rate by for it to be profitable mm -hmm. and build a simple kind of conditional logic and it would be interesting to see like if we could get the conversion rate needed for the financial model with all of its assumptions to flow through and get a lift for their business yeah i'm sure even changing up the products and what features are included and in well or we could raise the price by three percent and as long as we didn't de decrease conversion rate by more than x yeah we'd still that's the fun economic trade-offs of supply and demand and figuring out mm -hmm. price and i don't know it's psychologically very interesting to me yeah i think they go through the exercise once but that's probably a pretty sudden forget it yeah area. i think pricing could definitely be iterative especially when you have so many such transactional buyers right? you buy once mm -hmm. you renew 12 months later you, you can change price within certain bands. It's, I'm, I'm sure it's fairly inelastic within certain, like 15%, 5%, something like that. Yeah. What do you got for your theory? Yeah, so mine, I think, is going to connect with probably almost anyone listening. And it's, it's going to sound technical at first because the category is called dark patterns. There you go, B. Which is a UI and a UX thing. And Sounds what, like Spirit Airlines. What that means is user interface and user experience. And so my example is actually Netflix. And it's going to, once again, sounds technical. It, it's called a we roach. Do, most of us have Netflix. Most so. of us have Netflix. And yeah. I'll, I'll really bring it home here. Um, but it's called a roach motel. Is that and the show on Netflix? No, a roach motel is a type of user interface user experience that is looked at as i don't want to say unethical but more black hat so this is like when software companies make you email them to cancel your account and you can't do that's it. exactly it oh okay so oh, it's good. an easy way in yeah. and a hard way out yeah and <laughs> netflix it was, it was funny i was watching tv with my wife i think yesterday yeah. sunday that was the basketball game right warriors won yes they did so we're we're watching new girl warriors game is on that's on youtube tv so I go to leave Netflix, which I've done a ton. And I really noticed they keep changing where the exit button is. 
What do you mean? So to leave Netflix, you have to hit oh, back. I like back. This is conspiracy theorist Brady. No, this isn't. This is real. This is this is a Roach <laughs> no, Motel. Kidding, okay, kidding. Break down, break down the Roach Motel. And I think everyone can start realizing, like, oh shoot, I had this frustration myself. Yeah, yeah. So I hit back, and some apps you just hit back or exit, and it leaves the app. Right. On my Vizio Smart TV. Yeah. Netflix doesn't. About. It gets you to the menu. Okay, I made it to the menu on the left hand. Uh-huh. I used to scroll down to that menu, which was already annoying. And you the exit button. Exit twice? You no. Double tap? Okay. So the exit button, it just pops up this menu. And the, to exit the app, it used to be on that left menu all the way at the bottom. So already annoying. It wasn't there. Who exits their apps? Sorry, I'm just like thinking about this. You don't just go to your new Hulu app. You don't just, I just go, you fully exit. Them. My remote doesn't have the YouTube button. Oh, so you, but can't you just back to home it doesn't only go to like you know it just gets you to the netflix jeez this is so, a little cheeky is this on your roku or what's this on it's on a vizio okay, okay but what i notice is they move the exit button to the far right corner bottom of the screen like hidden like you can't even so my eye it was crazy my eyes didn't go there for i mean a good 10 seconds yeah right but in that is a dark pattern though. to your point that's a very it's like when you use spirit airlines and it's like, no, I don't want to upgrade my bags. And it's not highlighted. Mm-hmm. It's like in the, the button fits the background. And then the I want to upgrade my bags is like yellow yeah. and like bigger than an airplane kind of thing. Yeah. So eventually, I mean, for myself, I found it because I'm watching. When you're brilliant. Yeah. yeah. No, I wouldn't say that. But we're watching the Warriors <laughs> Celtics game. Yeah. Like that's what we're doing. It's not so a great f- game, by the way. Yeah, it wasn't great. So I finally, I found it, made it over there and exited. But that was my thought is... How many people do they keep? Why do because so? of that user experience? Question, okay, Netflix doesn't sell ads. Why no. do they care? Honestly, just like, product usage. Well, because I, it's it's ironic though, because if you think about Netflix, their innovation with the skip recap button changed the game for streaming. The skip mm-hmm. intro, the skip recap. Yeah. Like, are you still watching autoplays? I know that's normal on HBO Max now because I've been watching this new show, The Staircase. It's kind of crazy. Like, did I he, heard about did, it. Oh, did he push yeah. me? I, just, I heard oh, about oh it. Oh, my God. Right? So I'm watching this. And it's great. And I love some Curb from Larry David, whatever. HBO Max, though, feels like Netflix. And trust me, back in the day, HBO Max did not. And so my point being is they're kind of known for their innovation on positive user experience, right? Like their recommendation engine is insane are we talking netflix so yeah we're talking yeah. netflix like their recommendation engine was insane their ability to skip intros and recap was innovative like mm-hmm. they did a lot of things like straight up netflix did a lot of things in my opinion to change the streaming to game. keep you in the platform so you would say this is this just is a just another move vision to keep you in the platform i just thought it was fascinating but because it, no, those things were to consume more content this is not this is not to directly consume more content this is it's to, so you don't leave the app and you then go consume more content. And I think people are out there. The reason why they're doing this is because people will try to leave. Yeah. Oh shoot, I spent five seconds on it. I can't figure it out. Let me just keep watching New Girl. Let me find something else on Netflix. Like the fact that they're doing that for a reason. How do they make their money though? I like, honest question. So I, would, I think we have to understand that to get the, yeah. not, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. No, I'll have to look it up. Like I don't know if there is a free Netflix. I mean, the way I understand the way with, Netflix with ads. makes their money is it's a membership subscription so anything they did to decrease your experience would hurt them that's why i'm curious about this 
Because I do agree that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But my curiosity is, to me, they're like Costco. Why do you think Costco has such a good return policy? Because people buy a ton from them every other week? No, I don't think so. I think Costco has such a good return policy. Just user experience? Because they make all their EBITDA, their cash flow on their membership. There's no cost of goods sold on the membership. It's free cash. So how do you keep everyone happy? If you're selling memberships, you do free returns. You do $1.50 hot dogs. People can never wrap their brain around how Costco mm-hmm. loses money in so many areas because they're making straight EBITDA, in my opinion. i got to do a deep dive on this from their membership. So my point being is if you take that membership business and kind of the ecosystem from what it is, a gym membership at an Equinox or a 24-hour or mm-hmm. a Power or whatever, you know, like Purple or whatever the heck it's called. To me, if you're selling memberships, your experience is paramount. I think that's what made Netflix so special wasn't just the volume of content they had, but also the experience as a user. No one else had Hulu kept hitting you with the ads Mm -hmm. like the other streaming platforms are frankly behind like everybody's UI and UX kind of stunk. YouTube scrolling on the menu. You can't even like type in the channel phone when I have to keep rotating it to get the X to pop up from the landscape video. Yeah, Yeah. Like everybody was behind Netflix and what you're saying. I'm not saying it's not true. It just seems like a deviation from their core strategy, right? Netflix was great because of user experience. And it sounds like lately, especially with their top stock price and just... Well, that's where I'm curious if the stock price is correlated to this UI change. I mean, I I would say they're not one-to-one connected. There's no CEO in the world to be like our stock. No, not like that one-to-one, but the nature is for some reason, pressure got passed to the UI team to say, hey, we need to decrease exit. No, I would completely agree that they're trying to increase. And that was a result of it. Especially let's say subscribers are down. They need a new story, right? So if subscribers are down, what's your story? Well, time Mm -hmm. on sites up, Mm -hmm. right? Look, we aren't getting as many subscribers, but the ones we have, they're engaging with our content more than ever right like that's a story i could go sell to a board so i kind of can see it i'm just curious like if i'm netflix and it goes for any business dark patterns roach coach what you call it it's called a a roach motel a roach motel please avoid at all costs i would argue any money you make there you lose with goodwill lost to your best consumers yep but it's just fascinating. It's just one of those things where we just don't think about that stuff. Oh, no, but it's little, all formulated. Oh, yeah. We're little mice. And, and it's all us, to make yeah. more money. We're little mice stuck in someone's trap. And hopefully on here we get to talk about the mice traps. Yeah, it's just good awareness. I mean, even as a marketer, I randomly – I mean, there's so many things I experience that I don't even catch on to. But this was one where it's because I I do it a lot. I just knew that button changed. And as a marketer, yeah, come on, it just Netflix. blew my mind <laughs> just knowing why they're doing these things. I love it. Tactically delicious. I'm hungry. What kind of food are you hungry for? Tactics. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Probably Taco Bell, if I'm being honest. Yeah? No, I had it Taco last Bell night. over Del Taco? Oh, yeah. Why? What, what, what was like that moment that got you? Uh, it's split? nostalgic. Which part, though? I mean, to me, Del Taco is equally nostalgic. Well, just growing up, we were closer to a Taco Bell. I realized later in my life, my dad would use me as an excuse to get it, probably for himself. Yeah, you so I'm already planning for that when I have kids. Dads but, are so cheeky. Like yeah, that. he'd be like, oh, you know, the little boy, he wants Taco Bell. So we got to go drive through a little father-son bonding. He just definitely wanted Taco Bell. What was his order? I get it. Do you remember? Uh, I don't know. His. What was yours? 
Mine's pretty basic. I'm bean and cheese burrito and crunchy tacos. Oh, you're such a cheap date. If I play bad at golf, I'll get a chalupa. Is that like your little? That happened last night. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you shoot? What'd you shoot? Not too well. What's the number? A 97. (laughs) With a 10 on a par four. Oh. Handicap adjusted to a 92, but it's not looking good. Oh. Brady. So Brady for the for our listeners, Brady's actually a really good golfer. Ninety seven is flirting with good golfer. It's rough. Not really it's good rough. golfer. What happened? What's the, what's been the change of your game? Well, I'm trying to bow the wrist in the back swing and it's tough to let go of that in the forward swing and so I'm kinda choosing one direction and it's out of bounds. All right. Well let's get our there. strategies inbound. Yeah, let's talk about some <laughs> tactics I know. I know, oh my gosh. All right, so what I want to talk about today and it's quite interesting, and hopefully the listeners, you'll see my tactics are more like viewpoints, but that's what makes me all the money is like viewpoints, not tactics. Mm-hmm. So companies, when they come to us, um, I'm very involved in the project phase and helping our clients get that go-to-market strategy right. And when they come to us, they have a tendency to very much misunderstand their audiences for multiple reasons. Now, the big reason that they usually get it wrong is they have this idea that like their decision makers who they want to market to. And what I've always said is the champion, your point of contact after you close the deal is more important than the decision maker. In other words, the C-suite doesn't actually get demos and buy products. They sign new products, but they Mm -hmm. don't buy products, right? The champion does the director, the VP, the person who actually has to use it. The person who's got to be the point of contact, right? So I always have marketed to that person, and we've done very well for ourselves and for our clients. But then there was a new thing that happened. So at Directive, we were like a like our clients in many regards, right? We we're a platform. Yeah. But we have five products. We offer strategy. We offer video. We offer design. We offer SEO. We offer paid media. And we offer revenue operations. That's six. I think it was more than five, but... Yeah, I think it's six. My bad, guys. It's a good thing. Yeah, whatever. We'll keep track, okay? So... We have those six. Now, we're now like our SaaS companies where we run most of our ads for the platform, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of talk about all the different service lines, how we can help you, what we're going to do for you. But we also have these separate profit and loss statements for each of our products, each of our business units, right? So how's SEO doing this month compared to paid? How's RevOps doing compared to design? How's strategy compared to video, right? We can see how each business unit is performing, their cost of goods sold, their margins, all these things. Now... Because of that, we want to grow each product line. Like I'm sure very many of our customers don't just want to grow overall revenue, but they might have just acquired a product and they want to grow that product line's revenue. Or they want to grow this business unit, or this vertical, or whatever it is. Yeah, right? There's especially a, if there's better margins in it. Correct. Right. There's a specific product, service, location, region, persona, industry, whatever you want to grow. I finally figured out the hypothesis around what I think will drive growth because it's very, very different than I initially thought. So when you target a persona, not only do you want the champion over the decision maker, but what you also want is you want to supply the technical codependency they have to their jobs to be done. Mm -hmm. In other words, If I want to grow my SEO line of business, I should not market my SEO professional services to SEO professionals. 
But instead, content marketing professionals whose job to be done is to increase the traffic to the website, but they don't have the technical competency of SEO. So their job to be done is to grow traffic, but they're missing one tool in their toolbox that I happen to be great at. And now I have a non-replacement story from which they can buy from me. Compared to if I sold to an SEO, they would literally be saying, I need, and this works by the way, we do have like large SEO departments at big companies. So this works on enterprise, but mid-market doesn't usually replace themselves with the services they buy. Yeah. In other words, the SEO lady isn't like, you know what I want to do? Get my job compared to the performance of this agency to see if they cut me. Yeah, that's, that job security kicks in. Correct. And so what I'm saying is when we market these product lines, sometimes I think we tactically devalue the replacement cost the consumer does in their brain of if they are literally replacing themselves by buying you. Right? Like a lot of tech promises to cut down manual hours <laughs> yeah. by 45% and then sells it to the person whose hours they are cutting by 45%. And then they wonder why that person isn't buying it. It's like, well, fam, they're not trying to lose their job. Yeah. It's like trying to sell HubSpot to the person who runs the Marketo. And they're like, no one else knows how to run this. You why would I change? You a democratized platform that anyone could run. And now I'm not the like very special kind of yeah. person. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think about that? What do you think about the fact that when we usually right, like we have an SEO product, we sell it to SEOs. Or we have a finance product, we sell mm -hmm. it to finance. What, what's your take on instead, if you are a professional service, I guess in our case, tactically, instead of selling to the your end, like your direct professional, you sell to a complementary professional yeah. who doesn't maybe have that technical skill set. Well, I think the roads meet at outcomes. So in terms of like trying to map that out and you talked about with content marketing yep. is they're writing a ton of content, but what's their outcome? It's increased Organic traffic. Revenue, which like, yeah, traffic, right. First, and then ops. And, and so then it's less where the day-to-day -day overlaps, but it's where the outcome of the day-to-day -day meets. And I think that's where you can find those personas because yeah, to your point, the content writer has been working the same template for years now. Yep. That template could be technically off. Yep. in terms of the technical SEO. No, 100%. Right? And so as an SEO agency, we can go in and we can speak towards that with the content writer and we can talk about the same outcome, but not say, hey, yeah, hire us so we can write all the content for the company you work for. That's not going to rub them the right way. No, of course. I mean, if you're an outsourced content creation firm and you target content marketers, yeah, some people are going to love it because they just want to manage a team of writers. Mm -hmm. So that could work for you. But if you did the writing yourself, you're not like, yo, let me find a cheaper, better option for the company so I don't get my paycheck. And I think we just discount a lot of how people, how self-centered we all are as humans, which is not a bad thing. It's an important thing, I guess, to harness and understand as a marketer is are, what jobs to be done are you helping your audience with? Like what outcomes are you helping them accomplish? And can you sell them an outcome that they might not have the technical skill set for if you're a professional service firm and kind of connect those dots mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. So for my tactic, my yeah. tactically delicious today, uh, kind of left field. 
Okay. Uh, pretty random. I found myself Memorial Weekend talking to my cousin in Vegas who owns a coffee shop. Okay. So shout out Dark Moon Coffee. Oh, Dark Moon. Henderson, Nevada. Any discounts? Uh, he's paying me with coffee. So I got that going for me. There you go. No, we were on the phone for a couple of hours because uh, I was out there for his birthday. And he obviously knows what I do. And he's actually opening up an e-commerce shop. Okay. And so he, he's wanting to sell um, like five pound bags of coffee online. He doesn't want to just depend on the store traffic. Have you checked out Onyx Coffee Roasters? I have not. Oh, my God. Sexiest brand. I've seen I'll send it game. to him for inspiration. Oh, yeah, dude. Because they do recurring too. So they have full recurring yeah. models. So you can like reorder the bags. So Onyx, Onyx coffee roasting. Check we'll check that out. Yeah. Um, but I was doing some research. I'm like, dude, it's competitive, right? If you're just trying to do like Google ads, even no intent on like Facebook, Instagram, even PLA ads, shopping. It's just so yeah. competitive that it's tough to think of, okay, if no one's heard of my shop, are they going to buy it? Because he, he, he's premium too. Yeah. Pricing was pretty good. But I was as I was talking to him more, he's telling me everything he's got going on. And so he's telling me about his Wi-Fi system and how it used to be a login. And to log in, you capture email. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yep. And then I'm, you know, these are things I, I personally just don't know too much about, like POS systems, the point of sale. Well, you know what you gotta do too? I, I had this Wi-Fi idea. Even if he doesn't collect emails, have him put the tracking pixel on the thank you page. So you can retarget yeah. everyone on your Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. To build like local likes and stuff, but keep going. Yeah, you can cookie base it. Correct. And yeah. then he, he had a point system. I forget the name of it, but it was using phone numbers. So he's like, Yeah, I have like 5,000 phone numbers. It's like, Oh shit. Like you can upload all that into meta platforms. So Facebook and Instagram. Yep. And so we're just kind of going back and forth with what I know and what he knows. And so the strategy we kind of came up with on the phone is he's taking all those emails he had. Okay. He's from taking. POS. So the emails were from the Wi-Fi. I think he gets them from his POS as well. Okay, so he's got Wi-Fi as well as POS. Yeah, he has emails and phone numbers of people who actually went to his shop and experienced his coffee. Do phone numbers help with meta platforms? I'm, I'm not aware. I'm just curious. Yeah, it's okay. one of the matching. Well, that'll so, definitely help with you increase your match rates. Yeah, you can upload emails, and it's all personal emails, which is good for him. And then a bunch of phone numbers and matching it to profiles. Wow. And so he's going to try selling his coffee online to people who he knows went to his shop. And what's cool is he's in Vegas, and so he gets a ton of national, international traffic. That's sick. So he's going to, like, get people who were on vacation. So he'll be a global coffee roaster with rolling out this strategy. Yeah, he'll be able to sell across the world, ideally. But it was just one of those things where it's like, I know about custom audiences, obviously, yeah. in meta platforms. I've yeah. done it a lot for B2B. Um, but just to hear the data he had as a brick and mortar coffee shop, I think there's a lot of people out there who are sitting on that data yeah. and maybe they have it going to like an email drip campaign. Well, I love the pixel idea on the Wi-Fi. Yeah. The pixel too. So pixels, emails, phone numbers. Cause you don't even need email on that one. You can just pixel base it and just yeah. crush that audience. Now I think the cool part to me, Brady is the principles of what you're discussing translate to any business, mm -hmm. like a big spot I see where emails really underused and gets lost in translation and I think poorly leveraged from an ad standpoint is events. In other yeah. words, like people who do events, they do a lot of co-sponsoring of mm -hmm. parties and stuff mm -hmm. and they share lead lists and they do all this and they use the lead list for email Yeah. or sales CRM. It goes everywhere except into their LinkedIn and their Facebook and their Instagram. Yeah. It goes to an offshore or outbound sales team. 
Yeah, so just so everybody has context, like at Directive, we use a partner called Stack Adapt. So we can run connected TV to all those emails from your event. We use ClearBitX or even metadata in some cases to upload into the meta product. So mm -hmm. as Facebook and Instagram. And then LinkedIn lets us do direct account uploads. So literally, any email you have in a perfect world, like our biggest principle here and how we think about advertising is we only advertise to named accounts. We only advertise when there's not a black box because ads have value, right? An ad is valuable. An ad is your opportunity to make someone fall in love with your brand or evoke an emotion or remember you or think about you. Like advertising works. I think the problem is, is the way the platforms allow us to advertise is they keep all the data of who we advertise to and what they felt private. Mm -hmm. And we can change that game. We don't have to just use LinkedIn's data anymore. We can bring our own data to the party. And that's really the biggest principle. The first principle of customer generation and our entire methodology is you have to bring your own data to the party if you really want to be creative and original. And so... I love this concept, Brady, and I think every business in the world can do a better job using their named accounts or their emails to advertise and target their audiences. Yeah, 100%. There's just so much. It just opened my eyes to the opportunity out there yeah. with an industry that I never thought I'd have much to say about it with what I know just because the lack of experience in coffee shops. But as he shared what he had, it just showed me there's a gold mine out there for everyone. But I don't think a lot of people know what we know in terms yeah. of leveraging those emails and first party data and the power of it. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he does. Well, with I ran, it. so I ran Google ads and SEO for a coffee shop that was local to Irvine when we first started directive, um, shout out them. They're out of business. Not my fault, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, just realized that I was like, Oh man, they went out of business. <laughs> Not the best case study, but still we ran Google ads for them. And then we did the meta, like the Facebook, Instagram ads on a geo fence. Mm hmm. So cheap. Running geofenced ads is so affordable. And local businesses are not doing it the right way. Almost all the ads just end up being Yelp ads. And I think Yelp, I think most people have a good understanding now of their reputation. It's kind of more of yeah. a need to do it than a yeah. want to do it. You have to pay to not have your competitors' ads on your Yelp page. Yeah, they kind of made advertising on Yelp more of a need to do if you're successful than a anything but you don't yeah. have to obviously a lot of most restaurants still don't i think the cooler part though is getting that geofence and then you can layer in right so let's say your strategy i could have two audiences one where i'm pushing because there's two actions i want mm -hmm. right if you think about a coffee shop you make most of your money still on retail sales yeah that's where your biggest yep. and that fuels the other strategy correct but there's two strategies so if you're in my list and within five miles i'm going to encourage you to come to the shop mm -hmm. if you're in my list and outside five miles, I'm going to try to sign you up on a subscription product where you can buy my beans once and get them delivered monthly. And I can turn my AOV from $15 a bag to $300 yep. a bag. Now that is a strategy, right? We take a tactic, turn it into a strategy, yep. starts getting me excited. Oh, there was a lot of, like we even talked about, because when you drive from Arizona, you actually go through Henderson. So geofencing okay. dead zones on the highway where there, no one even lives there. So you won't be just hitting people up in like a random town. The only thing is you don't know the direction they're you moving. You could do the Waze ads though. Like you could hit he them. Tried, he said he tried that back in the day, really? but he was too new at it to really know the you impact. sponsor the freeway. Have you seen that? So yeah. this freeway yeah. sponsorships, those signs, those blue signs you see are actually You really can see important. with logos too now. I've noticed yeah. that. 
it's not just like in text it'll actually have your logo on the highway sign this guy's about to get a full new strategy yeah like, <laughs> no i was just geeking out with him for it was like two and a half hours i checked my phone after oh, and yeah. we were just is that the best going back and forth about what he could do with this data that he's like oh yeah I and he has to run it all it's great right like we just we get to provide all the advice you gotta execute no he's it. good he was already like in facebook he's like oh, I, I uploaded the audience i, I checked right. it. i'm like yeah you did it's, it's all in there that's awesome so i'm excited to see what he does i love it marketing and culture brady let's talk about it we live in this crazy macro environment where the world is saying we're going into a recession i've heard i don't buy it i think it's all politics not like political politics. I think it's corporate politics. Yeah. Easiest way to do layoffs is blame it on a recession. Every company did the same thing with COVID. Mm -hmm. Except COVID was a global pandemic that the world hadn't seen in recent memory. So I don't really draw the connections. In fact, I'd argue we're past most of that global pandemic. And it's a very weird thing. I think what happened is 2021 was hot. Everybody thought that the growth would never stop. Stocks only <laughs> go up. Yep. Right? And also there's a great resignation. So people are churning like crazy. Everyone's get quitting their job. People you've had for years are leaving. People you've had for a minute are leaving. So in our forecast with our HR departments, we overhire because we think we're gonna have a ton of churn in 2022. Next thing you know, no one's quitting in 2022. We're past the great resignation. Unemployment's down. Things are going well, except for gas prices. But overall, economy's coming back. People are socializing. Then all of a sudden, everyone talks about a recession so they can do layoffs. Now, that's my take on it. So what I want to ask you, Brady, is like, how do you believe in this kind of marketing plus culture, right? With the macro economy, the analysts are saying it's heading to a recession. Mm -hmm. How do you think that affects marketers and marketing budgets? Are you seeing marketing budgets get shrink, shrunk right now? No, I'm, I'm not seeing them get shrunk, but I'm seeing a brighter spotlight on how it's spent. Okay. And I think this is just from us. Fortunately, and I think this is the right thing to do as a marketer, but being positioned as a performance-based agency. Driving revenue, driving out. Driving revenue. I mean, before okay. all this recession talk was happening, this is what we're selling. This is what we're doing is we hold ourselves accountable to revenue. Yeah. We hold ourselves accountable from the start of the pipeline to the end of the pipeline. Yeah. And unfortunately for the rest of the world, that's usually our value prop, yeah. right? That's a UVP for us to be speaking that language. Yeah. And I think what I've noticed, at least even in the recent month, is I'm talking to more chief revenue officers on sales There's calls. There's more scrutiny. So what you're saying essentially is like, because and Brady and I are on a lot of sales here at mm -hmm. Collective. So I mean, and we have a, I don't mean this like in a bad way, we have a massive pipeline. Like we genuinely have a very large pipeline. We have a pretty good sized sales org. I think how many salespeople are in there? Eight? Yeah, more. More than eight people in the sales org. And that's like nine, I think with Brady's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like a small team. We're global. Our pipeline is roaring. May was the third best sales month in the history of the company. So, and I sell ad services, right? I sell marketing services. Like, let's be real for a second. Like, there was a recession. Trust me, when COVID hit, I knew about it. Our head of ops isn't getting a ton of churn, and our pipeline has never been stronger. So, that is true. And But two things can be true. I think the other part of the story, which you're hinting at, is in the investors got a little carried away, right? I just saw, what did they say about Bolt? Bolt has, um, I don't know. They did a uh, 28 million in revenue on 600 million in burn or something <laughs> oh, like that. Like, yeah. like crap, that just doesn't make sense. All these Twitter famous mm -hmm. thread kings and queens and 
people and individuals, whatever the heck people wanted to call themselves, thousand percent fine by me. But they're all over Twitter saying how brilliant they are. And then the financials come out and they don't look so brilliant. Mm-hmm. So to me, this quote unquote recession is just a reset of like common sense. And what you're yeah, saying the way is it should be. marketing has gotten way too much freedom in the last 24 months to a certain extent. And now big brother finance mm-hmm. or sales is kind of looking over their shoulder and going, yo, do you need 36 SDRs when if I do an LTV CAC formula, only three of them are profitable? Yep. Do you need eight AEs doing only one demo every three days? Do you need 12 demand gen marketers when each one has their own agency and none of them produce in-house? I think these are the real questions that are going on and people are actually looking at their finances. Yeah, and if it's forced by fear, then that's what it is. But why shouldn't that be the case when things are thriving when it comes to the perception of the economy? Why would it not be that way? And I think to me, it's a good wake-up call. Yeah. At least the conversations I'm having, I think... I'm passionate about it because why I get fired up in sales and I I love this part of the process on like speaking to potential new clients is I get access to accounts. And so I get to log in to to Google ads, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and it's wild. What What, what part's wild? Like what what do you think is the most consistent thing that like shocks you from like a management standpoint of. So on a high level, what blows my mind is how much money these companies are giving to Microsoft, Meta, and Google with zero benefit to their own business. And this goes down to like search terms as an example. This is our biggest revenue stream, Brady, so careful. No, this is great for us because we take it over and we actually show them what's going on and we make it right. And I'm actually seeing the need and the want for it to be right more and more and more throughout this month. Um, because you log in and it's just crazy. I think a lot of this is the platform and, you know, especially if it's like an in-house person managing it, like Google makes it tough to know you're not making an impact to pipeline. They're very good now at creating false positives in accounts based on, you know, form fill tracking. And you would say this isn't on accident. No, this is kind of like the Netflix exit button that we talked about. Like this is all people optimizing the user interface. It's the algorithms achieving form fills in a much easier way like what we advocate for which is offline conversion tracking and yeah importing your pipeline having the algorithms go off of life cycle stage actions physical actions occurring in your sales pipeline not just form fills Mm -hmm. which makes marketing clap themselves on the back but when the cro or cfo does show up and trust us they do and they look they're like well form fills are up 300 percent, revenues up five points most of form fills are waste yeah and then you can't tell them which ones are so your budget doesn't get slashed now your budget got cut by 35 percent. goals are the same and we all know despite all that waste there was a positive mm-hmm. impact and you're kind of screwed as a head of marketing yeah and not a lot of people know why that's true right like I, I don't think it's malicious right they know they're burning a bunch of money yet they're doing it but it could be as simple as lifting the hood on a broad keyword and it's just fascinating showing prospects the actual search terms that they've been bidding on for years and how irrelevant they are to their business. Now, let's tie this back to the macro economy, though. Do you think people are going to change the way they manage their Google accounts due to kind of this quote unquote perceived recession? Do you see social becoming more like what do you, where do you see the budgets? So you're saying the budgets stay the same, but the oversight is increased. Mm-hmm. So you're saying total budget might actually stay relatively the same. Where do you think the money's going to get diverted to? Like, what do you think? Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. I do think 
Google, from my perspective within our industry, I think Google spends will probably go down. And this is just from like average findings with people having stretch targeting far beyond intent for their solutions. Plus Apple, I mean, just wiping out Facebook with their iOS update in that regards. Yeah, because they have bad platforms. So let's say, I would agree that spend is shrinking on Facebook from a capital allocation standpoint due to that. Now we're a little different because we use our own data provider Mm -hmm. to upload accounts to Facebook, so we've been okay. Um, Same with Instagram. But I would agree with that. Facebook's going down. I think TikTok's going up. I can't stop. I mean, everybody in B2B wants to be an influencer on TikTok. Half of them are employed by me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got, they're good, though. I'm not going to lie. Oh, like, they're, they're pretty hilarious. funny. They're, yeah. I mean, Tim's Tim's video, shout out Tim Davidson. If you're not following him on TikTok, I'm not because I don't have an account yet. I think Scarlett sent me up with one. So I'm he on TikTok. He cross-posts it for LinkedIn for us. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, but I see him on LinkedIn, right? And yeah. he crushes that. So I see TikTok growing like crazy. Elon's going to pull out of this Twitter deal. There's no way it ever happens. Plus, Twitter's ad platform is dookie right every time i try to layer on targeting it expands the audience instead of shrinking it making the platform literally useless and then their b2b integrations are horrible with salesforce or anything google still doesn't have a good firmographic product programmatic still hyper creative dependent and video codependent as well as strategy codependent so most people struggle with it mm-hmm. and don't have enough budget to do attribution so they kind of run a programmatic for three months say it doesn't work and then give up even though the sales cycle is six months. So really what we have left is LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's yeah. a winner from all this with like what's going on in Facebook and everything else because where does it, where do the B2C companies go? They go to TikTok. Yeah. Snapchat's went missed their earnings report, so they went down like mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. I guess they go back to Google, even though they don't have firmographics. You kind of just well, spend Google, more on Google. Google's an interesting one because it's like the intent-based platform where someone's actually in the moment on a search engine looking for information and the reason why i think google budgets are dropping is because with that wasted spend that we identify within accounts there's less of an opportunity to replace it in that platform well because it's only the problem with google to your point is the smarter you go with google you're satisfying existing demand you're not creating it so yeah so they might have all the right terms in the account they're collecting the right traffic but then on top of that, it's a ton of irrelevant traffic that they need to clean up. And if they scope it down to make it less irrelevant because the CRO and CFO is bringing down their neck, what they're going to find is instead of having 100 keywords they advertise on, yeah. they end up with 17. There's only so many people Correct. on Google each day searching things relevant to their solution. With there's the true a ceiling intent. there. And there's no firmographics, so you got to lean into the intent because you can't control who's searching. You can only control what you show up for when they search. Yep. And you can't make more queries relevant through the channel itself. So then it does make, ironically, social yeah, to me. Yeah, social platforms. Is the you future. can go after the TAM. Yeah. The total addressable That's what market. We do a directive. It's the future. But to our point earlier, if you have increased scrutiny from the CRO and the CFO and the CMO and some C level bigwig suit who ruins all of our lives, <laughs> they are going to be just as scrutinous on the fact that Facebook performance dipped 30% period over period since iOS rolled out their updates. Mm-hmm. And you're a consumer product. I guess you literally, to me, the winner of this all is TikTok. Like, yeah. TikTok's the winner. Yeah, and I, I think the influencer side of marketing is definitely getting in to not just the B2B space, but the B2B SaaS, B2B tech specifically. Yeah, it is. I, I see it like the, the famous podcast hosts are like, I'm on this new platform. Sign up. I'll do that too. I'm not hating, but still, I mean, 
yeah, referral traffic from YouTube videos of influencers, especially in like the technical developer engineer we space. We didn't talk about YouTube too. YouTube could get big. YouTube could, I think YouTube to me, YouTube mm -hmm. has so much potential. Maybe it's cause I'm turning into my parents, right? I'm like the old dad on his iPad, you know, at night, like watching my videos and like learning something, but I love YouTube. Do you oh, think same. YouTube has like for tech companies has, a, should play a bigger role in what they're doing? Yeah, I think so. I think the tough thing with YouTube in terms of like the ad platform Correct, yeah. is people love YouTube, right? They're there for a reason. They're there to watch content and the ad is placed right before the content they came there for. Yeah. Right. And so I think when it comes to social, you're part of a newsfeed. That person is there to experience their newsfeed and your ad is one of those experiences. Yeah. And with Google, they are there to really search for content and so they're there to also engage with your ad technically but youtube is such an interesting placement where they are there to watch what is after your ad and so i think it's tough to yeah. engage people on the platform but i think it's great for awareness i think you can find them in a See, mindset I like it different can i tell you how i yeah, like youtube let's hear it i agree with what you're saying you're right i don't think you can beat any of those things i don't know if traditional advertising on youtube's ad engine will work here's what i want to do native ads from mm -hmm. the creators like a lot of the top like i like a lot of the car channels yeah and they'll plug michelin tires and which tire they recommend for the car they're driving and do you think that's authentic or do you oh, think it's yeah. sponsored no no it's not that it doesn't matter it's coming from the people it's coming remember i subscribe to a youtube channel more than i consume a youtube video mm -hmm. and so if it's coming from the creators of the channel i subscribe to it carries weight because it's like podcast ads. Like podcast ads work best when you advertise on a podcast, in my opinion, that has repeat listeners. So mm -hmm. that when they recommend an ad, you could tell in their tone which ads they believe in oh, yeah. and which ones they don't. And my point being is if your product is a product that the creator believes in, to me, that's a game changer. Mm -hmm. Especially for people who are codependent on Facebook and Instagram. It's like a better version of a f influencers. Like influencers to me – come across really advertising and spammy like when kim k does like her like you know like her latest plug and she makes like three million for an ad or whatever like good for her power yeah. for her no 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 hate coming from me towards kim k it's more i think people are wise to that influencer ad compared to a creator like a creator that you have an affinity for like an artist because mm. i wouldn't say kim k is an artist if that makes sense she's an influencer Artists. Artists can be a recording artist. They can be a video creator. They can be a podcaster. To me, someone who has a creative artistry to them, I think when they say something, we value it differently than if an influencer says something. Yeah, but I think that's how you see Kim K. I think a lot of people see Kim K like you see creators. I'm I mean, just throwing Kim that out icon. there. I'm just I, throwing that out there. You, but you think when she does her like obvious ad and it's got all the caption stuff mm -hmm. of like fifteen percent off and stuff, oh, everyone yeah. is like. I want a body like Kim K that didn't come from other things. It was definitely this fit tee. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't know Kim K, but I, I do talk to friends about influencers. Okay. And they are very influenced. And even if I tell them what's happening and the fact that they get shipped these products and they're getting paid to make this video, even when explaining it, they don't really see it that way. Well, no, my wife has like mommies. Like she just follows more of the mommy influencers. Mm -hmm. And she has some mommies that if they bought a product a thousand percent, she would at least explore buying that product. Yeah. Because she'd that, be like, that's oh, not I the creator heard of that. category, right? That's what I'm trying to say. That's more the creator category. 
You're saying well, I don't think it is. I think that's I guess that's an influencer category, yeah. but it's more niched. I guess that's a niche influencer, which is different yeah. than a global influencer. Yes, definitely. I think that's where I think you. Yeah, and I, not a hundred percent of Kim K's followers here that way, but I do think. Yeah, what sixty percent has got to be men that have no yeah. interest in her fit teeth. But even the small percentage that is influenced with her volume of following is probably bigger. Oh, than I'm any, sure she's worth every penny. Any trust me. Any like, if I could sponsor Kim K to plug directive, I bet you I could still make it work, right? So I'm like, if you're that funny. big, right? Like, That'd be great attribution. See who comes from the Kim K ad. <laughs> It would be all time. Well, marketing and culture, man, it's fun to chat about. I do. I don't think we're heading to a recession, but I do agree with what you're saying. I think there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on budgets, mm-hmm. and we got to be aware good. of it. It's a good thing. It's I think it's healthy. Thing. Yeah, all of us need to be more financially validated and do a better job aligning ourselves to the outcome of the business. Yeah, and it's possible. Totally possible. What a first episode! That Brady. was fun. Talking original marketing doesn't get better. Doesn't get better. This was actually, I had a great time. I want to keep doing this. Yeah. We're going to be doing the show every week. We're recording on Monday. I'm not sure which day we're going to post yet. Um, we'll get that out there, though, for mm-hmm. all of you, and we'll make it clear. Uh, we'll have a um, place where you can subscribe, be a part of it. So if you want to, please subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify. whatever you use. Your we're Spotify. paying a lot of money every month to Spotify <laughs> over the last decade, so we might yeah. as well. Brady's a Listen. big fan of like whatever monthly plan you could give him. No, you should check it out. It, it's pretty crazy if you do the math on how much it's added up over time. They got you. They got me. They got all of us. They got everybody. And that, and we love it. This has been a blast. So please leave a comment, subscribe, share the podcast, be a part of it. Let us know which guests we should interview. If you got any guests in your network that CMOs of a big brand, let us know about them. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. That's Original Marketing. Thanks, everyone.